0: But well, today we're going to actually look at chapter 5 of 1 Peter. So if you want to get that ready in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, 1 uh, Peter right at the end of the uh, uh, of the Bible. Uh, if you get to Revelation and John and stuff, you've gone too far. But come back a few pages. So 1 Peter chapter 5, we're actually going to look at today. And what we're going to look at, we're going to discover today how to be aware of being ambushed. How to be aware of being ambushed. You know... One thing that I love that many people don't really know is I love Western movies. When I was at university, uh, I, I, uh, I did uh, my major in political studies, and uh, my minor was in uh, American studies. And uh, so it was, pretty, it was like the days before like Justin Bieber and all that sort of stuff, like, when like, American studies was actually interesting. you know. But uh, it was actually you know, it was a really good thing, uh, and, and I really enjoyed it. And one of the courses that I took, one of the classes all semester, we sat in a movie theater and we watched Western movies. I mean, it was like amazing, right? And, and so we watched all these Western movies, and we had to write essays on them and stuff. And it was great, but I love Westerns because I, I, I love like the cowboys. When I was a kid, I used to dress up as a cowboy and go around and shoot all the Indians and stuff like that, you know, and uh, pretend my, my, my sister was like like the cheap Indian and go and kill her and stuff, you know? I mean, it was great. And so I love cowboys, but I, I love watching... These movies, seeing the villains, seeing the gunfights, uh, and just the whole thing about the Wild West is just great. And, but many of these Western movies, if you didn't know, not all of them, a lot of the John Wayne ones aren't, but a lot of the Western movies are actually based on real life facts and real life characters. And one of the most common occurrences in Western movies is this it's a stagecoach. Going through a path between, like, in a valley between two mountains on either side, and then suddenly all these bandits and robbers come out from the hills and they attack the stagecoach. They kill the driver. They kind of strip all the clothes off everybody in, in, like, inside the stagecoach, and then they rob the stagecoach and they go on. And you see it in a lot of western movies, and it, they kind of make it comical sometimes uh, and stuff like that. But the, the actual reality was was it was very common back in the Wild West for stagecoaches to be robbed. And so you would actually get like bandits that would come out from the hills and rob the stagecoaches. So the stagecoach always did uh, th- th- this, this, uh, this two-man uh, adoption thing that they did. So they would have a driver who would drive the stagecoach. Then they would have a guy who sat next to the driver, and he was known as Shotgun. And so what he would do, he would have a shotgun, he would have a a rifle or some sort of weapon, and his job was to look around and see if anybody, any bandits or any robbers were going to come and attack them. And so his job was to be aware all the time of what was going on around. He wasn't concerned in driving the stagecoach, but his job was to look around for bandits. And if they came, then he would pick them off. And he would stop the bandits from coming and attacking. And his job out of everything was to protect the driver. Protect the driver. Let the driver drive the stagecoach or, you know, with the horses and stuff. And his job was to protect the driver. You know, in most Western movies, if you watch Western movies, if you're like a geek like me or not, uh, you may find that that it never kind of works in the movies. The, the guy shotgun was always the guy who died first, and then, and then that was it. They got The stagecoach got robbed. But in real life, in the wild, wild west back in the day, it was actually a really good mechanism that worked. And it was a good defense mechanism for the stagecoach. And actually, a lot of stagecoaches survived, and they were able to get to their destination because of the guy riding shotgun. So for those of you uneducated people, the next time someone says, I want to ride shotgun, uh, it means that they want to sit right next to the driver with a rifle in their hands. You know what I mean? That's really what it means. And so uh, uh, the other day, uh, Zach was in our car, and he shouted shotgun. And my wife was like, what? What? What are you talking about? And like, she had no idea at all. So now she is educated because she knows what shotgun is. So... As we close the book of 1 Peter, and as we get to chapter 5, we discover there is a need for what I call a Christian shotgun. A Christian shotgun. And this is the need to be vigilant for bandits and robbers that may want to attack you and your family and your friends and the life that you live. And, 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 and Peter starts off this uh, chapter 5 of this letter that, that he wrote by referencing the need not to bring attention to yourself and to act in a way that is appropriate for a Christian. It it wasn't like you sit there in the position of shotgun and you're waving your arms and you're saying, Hey bandits, come out and get me. You know, I'm going to pick you off. I'm going to shoot you. No, they had to be very still and just look around. And this is exactly what Peter's telling us to be. He says that there is a way that we should act and behave and we should be vigilant that is right for the Christian. And so, this chapter 5, it's split into two sections, and we'll look at them today. And the very first section is this. He tells us, he says, basically, do your job and be humble. Do your job and be humble. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. He says, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder And a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. But lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And in verse 5, he says, In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but favors the humble." So humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And then just quickly, verse 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So we see here in this verse, in this scripture, that Peter addresses two sets of people. The first set of people he addresses is people called elders. Elders. The second group he addresses, he calls them younger men or people who aren't elders. It's kind of a funny term, elders. It's kind of like a really like churchy term, like, hey, elder, you know, this and that. It's kind of strange. We don't use that term in everyday language. But basically an elder was this. It wasn't someone who was considerably older than you, even though it could have been. An elder in the New Testament uh, church was somebody who was a spiritual leader. It was someone whose life that others would look up to and try to mimic their life because their life was upstanding. Their life was a good example to others. And so an elder was somebody that others respected and looked up to, and often they had positions in the church. They were were pastors, they were teachers, they were evangelists. They they cared about the administrative stuff of the church. But they were the ones that others would look up to as an example. And so the word elder isn't to do with uh, an appointed position, but more a position of spiritual leadership. And some of you, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know people in your life that you look up to and you would consider them an elder or someone in spiritual leadership because you look to their life and you follow their life and their example. And Peter says, I'm an elder. And he says, and many of you are elders as well. Many others are elders as well. Now, just to get this kind of terminology, because it is a strange terminology, we haven't got time to go through this morning, but the, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to a young pastor called Timothy. And in this, in this letter that he wrote to Timothy, he describes exactly how an elder or someone in spiritual leadership should behave and should act and there's things like, you know, they should be sober-minded. They should be uh, a man of one wife. They, uh, they, they basically uh, should be able to teach others about God and the things of God. And, and, and there's a whole list of, uh, of of different things. But this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, people who, uh, who desire to become elders, people who want to become elders, people who want to become spiritual leaders are people who desire or aspire to a good position, a good position. Now, I remember growing up, we had elders in our church, and I always thought the elders, they were just like these stuffy old guys who like wore a tie for everything. You know, they'd be doing like the yard work, wearing a tie and stuff. You know, I mean, they were the ones who would turn the music down, you know, and, and stuff and, and, and everything. And that's kind of what my view of elder was. But when we read through this, I think about others who have invested in my life, others who were in our church growing up, who others looked up to. They were elders, and they were people in spiritual leadership. And, and, and I, love, I love the 21st century church. I love it. I love the things that we do. I love the songs that we sing, the way that we approach the word of God. But one thing that there is a problem in the 21st century church, and this is the problem. We have done away with elders. We've done away with people who are spiritual leaders. And we've replaced them with administrators. We've replaced them with people who can do a job. And just because someone has the gifts and the talents to do a job doesn't mean that they should be in that position to do a job. And you read through the Bible and you read through whenever anyone is appointed to leadership in the church, they are always appointed firstly. They are people who have got a great spiritual life. They've got a great prayer life. They are a good example to others. They serve others well. And they are people that others look up to. And I see this in the modern church, and, 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 and even here we have to be very careful not to do that because there's so many different things and so many different areas that you want help in, or you want people just to take and run with it because they, they're excellent and they're skilled. But if they're not spiritual leaders, it's not going to work well for the church. You know, we were at this church for a couple of years. Raquel helped start the church, and the church, on the very first Sunday, we had 800 people at this church. And within three years, they were running over 2,000 people. And we left, and then next three years, they grew to like 5,000. What did I tell you about us? But um, but there, there was a problem with this church. And the problem was, we started growing, and we started appointing people in the church, leaders in the church, who not necessarily had a great relationship with God. Instead, we started appointing people who could do a job, and we hired an executive pastor who was in the banking industry. Uh, he uh, he had been an executive pastor at another church, and he was a genius. He was an organizational genius. He can take a mess and make it like this, like neat thing. He could take anything, and he can like make money out of nothing. I mean, it was just like he was just this guy who like everybody respected. For his organizational skills. But the problem was his character was flawed. His character was flawed. And he came in. And the whole church suddenly just started shaking up. He had so much responsibility. But his life with God was flawed. And eventually the whole staff disbanded. The pastor had a moral failure. He he left himself and went. And I'm not blaming him for that, but the problem was we put him in a position that maybe he shouldn't have been in because his relationship with God wasn't as strong as it should have been. And this is what Peter is saying. He says that there are elders in the church, spiritual leaders. And you know, when I was 16 years old, I felt God call me to leadership in the church. I felt God called me to be a pastor. And I struggled for years and years and years with it. I struggled before and I struggled after because I realized if God wanted me to be a pastor, uh, somebody who was in spiritual leadership, then I'm going to have to start living my life in a way that is above reproach. That is probably a, more, a better example than most people. And this is why, because people are looking at me, people are watching me. If I slip and fall, people are Saying this and that about me, and I knew that at an early age, and it took me a long time. And sometimes Raquel and myself will have conversations. You know, there's times when times are good, times are bad, and sometimes she's just like, Man, why can't we just go back being a volunteer like everybody else? She was like, Let's just be like, just go and help in the kids' ministry or go and just help greet because it's so much easier. Not all eyes are on you, not everyone's looking at you, but if you desire, And if you feel in your life that God has called you to be a leader, a pastor, an evangelist, a prophet, a teacher, somebody, maybe an administrator, somebody who who not not just volunteers at church, but somebody who starts to lead ministries in church, then that's a good thing. But there's a lot of things that you need to look at with your own life if that's the case. And this is what Peter tells us here. Here. So the first thing that an elder must do is feed and tend to the people who are in your care as much as you can. Feed and tend the people in your care as much as you can. Now, I, I, I have some gifts and I have some talents. And then there's other pastors who have different gifts and different talents. And, and not one pastor has all the gifts and the talents that anybody could have. There's not one pastor out there who is just amazing. I mean, they're, they're, like, they're just the one. Like, everyone's like, that's the man. That's who you've got to be. I have gifts and I've got talents, but I've also got weaknesses. And Peter's not telling us, be the perfect leader. Be the perfect pastor. What he's telling, he's saying, do the job the best you can. Do the job the best you can. And what he describes here is something that's contrary to, to, to what a lot of people believe in church. And I always believed this in church. My dad was a pastor. And I always thought this. I always thought, my, my, my dad's the shepherd. He's the one responsible for all the people. And I always thought that all my life. And then I started reading Peter. And I realized, man, I had it wrong. I realized the elder isn't the shepherd because Christ is the shepherd. And that's what Peter tells us. Christ is the great shepherd. Christ is the great shepherd. The elders, the leaders in the church are the shepherd's helpers. And God has placed people under our care to tend. We're like the workers going around helping everybody, helping to feed, helping to tend. And it's very important to understand that the elder is not the, the chief. The elder is there to assist in the work of Christ. And in this church, I'm not the head of this church. And the day I stop living an example that is good to you is the day you need to kick me from this pulpit. And that's hard to say because pastors have this tendency to say, well, I'm the leader. We're going to do what I want to do because I hear from God. That's what, that's what pastors have to, a tendency to say. But the day my life is not an example is the day that I probably need to step down from this pulpit. And a lot of churches have a lot of hard times with that because there's a lot of pastors out there who they've, They've they, they worked blood, sweat, and tears for that church. But their life is no longer an example to others. And maybe it's time to sit down and let somebody else be the elder in that example. And so if you desire to be an elder, a leader in this church, then you desire a good role. But that is a role to assist in the work of Christ. And Peter tells us it's a role that's done willingly. Willingly. It's not a role that you can do just to get as much as you can out of it to use people. But... It's a role that the Great Shepherd Jesus Christ has led you into, and this position is not a position to force on people. It's not to beat people, say, "Hey, you've got to come into church." You know, I've seen those, some of those things on Facebook where where, the, where uh, the, some churches and like have got like a non-tither list. You know, if you don't tithe, you get on the non-tither list. I'm like, what a great idea, not, you know, and uh, and it's not one of those. It's like, hey, why haven't you given? Why, why haven't you served? You know we're going to beat you into submission. You better do this. It's not one of those. But this is what Peter says. He says that the position of the elder is this. It's somebody who comes and he tries to care for the people, tend the people, feed the people with the word of God. It's not to beat them into submission, but it's to lead the people by their own example. If you go to a church where all the leaders are just sitting on their butts and everybody else is doing the work, then they're not really being the elders that God wants to do. And in this church, you know, I mean, sometimes I need to delegate it a little bit more. I'm always told I need to delegate a little bit more. But one thing I will always try to do, and that is if I ask you to do a job, I'm willing to do that job as well. If I want you to salt the parking lot, I'm willing to salt the parking lot. If I want you to greet, I'll greet. If if, if I want you to help in the kids' ministry, I'll help in the kids' ministry. Why? Because an elder is someone who leads by example. And I've always said, if you want to be a leader in this church, then first show me how you can serve willingly, joyfully, and sacrificially. And this is why. Because leadership is harder than following. Leadership is harder than following. Why? Because people watch you more. Because they expect more out of you. And many are waiting for you to slip up. And the position of the Christian shotgun is the leader. There are bandits all around who want to take you out. And if you're a leader, then you've got a bigger target on your back than everybody else. But Peter just does not stop at the leaders. He also tells us about, about everybody else. He basically says, even if you are someone who is not an elder in the church, then you are to stay humble and you are to serve others. You are to stay humble and serve others. Whether you're young in your faith or you're, you've been in this faith a long time, Peter says, stay humble, serve each other, give your cares to God, and God will return to you, honor, and he will lift you up at the appointed time. That's what Peter says. Humility is the key to the Christian life, and this is why. There is an enemy out there who hates you, who despises you, who wants to destroy you. He, he hates what you believe in, and, and, and he will take you out the moment that you show weaknesses to him. And so somebody who's prideful, someone who stands up and, and, and shows, says, give me all the attention. They're the first person that the enemy wants to knock off. Humility is about staying low. And Peter carries on. He doesn't just, just say, do your job and stay humble. He also says this. He says, be aware of being ambushed. Be aware of being ambushed. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So Peter tells us here, he says there is an enemy. And this enemy isn't just a made-up enemy. It is a real enemy that is looking for someone to devour. He says, the proud are, are those who bring attention to themselves. They lead themselves wide open, and the devil will attack and devour the proud. What's the old proverb? That pride comes before fall. And in the Christian life, if you're a prideful person, then the enemy is going to attack you. Because it's like you're out in the middle of the wilderness. Showing everyone, hey, here I am, here I am. And you've got all these wild animals that just want to come and attack you. This enemy is looking for leaders. He's looking for elders. He's looking for new Christians. He's looking for people with influence. And that's why Peter says, live in a way that pleases God. Because if you stray from that path, then it's a dangerous world out there. Notice here that Peter says this in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, watch out for your enemy. He says, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He compares the devil with a roaring lion. A a hungry lion is a dangerous animal. You know, lions are very territorial. And if you come into their territory, they'll try to scare you off their patch. Normally, lions chase after smaller animals that are easy to catch. They don't really like going after the big, large animals. But if the lion becomes hungry, then they start to go after bigger prey. And Peter tells us this. He says that the devil is like a hungry lion and he feeds off devouring Christians. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ this morning, then there is an enemy out there that wants to devour you. He wants to devour you. You know, lions like the chase. They like to chase after things. If a lion came into this room today and we all started to run, the lion would start to run after us. And eventually the lion would catch us and then the lion would eat us. And we don't want that. And if you bring attention to yourself, it becomes all about you, 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 not God, God, God. Then that lion will creep around and he will pounce, and he will devour. And so as we close this morning, I want to give you five ways to survive a lion attack. Five ways to survive a lion attack. So this is going to help you if you ever go out to Africa in the Serengeti or whatever. But then it also relates to how to survive an attack that the enemy will put on your life. Whether you're an elder, whether you are you know, a regular church attender, a volunteer, whether you're a new Christian. All these things will help you. And this is the very first thing that you're to do if a lion comes. You're to make a loud noise. Make a loud noise. If a lion came in here this morning, we would have to make a loud noise to scare the lion. You wouldn't think about it. You'd think, like, go hide. But no, make a loud noise. And I'm a big believer in my life, and I've seen it in my life, that praise and worship is one of the biggest weapons we have to defeat the enemy, to defeat the devil. We worship God here every Sunday morning, but there's other times that we worship God, and it's like a weapon against the enemy. The enemy of your soul hates it when you worship God. And the more you worship God, the more it scares the enemy. Do you know what the enemy tries to do? He tries to shut your mouth. If he can shut your mouth, and stop you praising God. Then he's won half the battle. So I'm a big believer in worshiping God and praising God. And not just like quietly. Uh, you, you, you guys probably know me by now. I'm like I'm loud and you know in my praise and worship my voice isn't good. But I believe it because it's like making a loud noise. The second thing that you do to to, to survive a lion attack is stand your ground. You, you, if a lion comes, don't run because the lion likes the chase. Stand your ground. And, and the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 and th- verse 13, he says, when you have done all to stand, and he's talking about against the enemy of your soul, the devil, when you've done all to stand, then stand firm. That's what Paul says. When you've done everything to stand in your might, keep standing stay firm. Don't let your faith waver. No matter what is in front of you, stand firm and your enemy will suddenly start to back off. If You start to cower down and you let the enemy take the territory. If you take the lion, take the territory, they will take it. If you stand firm, they will back off. Number three, survive a lion attack. Make yourself big. Make yourself big. If a lion comes, this is what you've got to do. You've got to like Put your arms out and legs out. If there's two of you, one get on the other shoulders and make yourself bigger than what you actually really are. If you show the lion that you are bigger than what they are, they don't like fighting against animals that are bigger than them. Maybe notice a lion never really goes for an elephant. You know, goes for those little gazelles, you know, or, you know, the wildebeests or stuff like that. But he never really goes for an elephant. If you can make yourself bigger, it will survive a lion attack. And, 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 and it's the same with an attack from the enemy who goes around like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you can make yourself bigger, it's going to scare him. And this, in the Christian world, according to the Bible, this is how you make yourself bigger. You surrender yourself unto God. You make yourself less and you make, make, and make God more. Paul said this. He says, I must decrease. So that Christ must increase. He's saying less of me means more of God. I must decrease so Christ will increase. And that is because Christ is bigger. He is stronger and he is mightier, not only than you, but your enemy. And if, if there's less of you and more of Christ, then the enemy kind of gets scared. It's like you've got this big army standing behind you and he's like, whoa, Okay. Gonna back off a little. That was number three. Number four. Start throwing rocks. Start throwing rocks. It's five and a lion attack. If a lion comes, pick up rocks. Stop throwing the rocks at them. They don't like it. They want to be in control. You start throwing rocks, and they'll start backing off. And and, and for us, for Christians, the the rocks that we have is the Word of God. Start throwing around the word of God. Not like throwing your Bible. And that's kind of, don't do that. But take the words from the Bible and start speaking them over your life. Start speaking them into the things in your life. Take the promises that God has given in this word. This is the greatest weapon that you could ever have. The Apostle Paul says that, that the, very, the only offensive weapon to fight the enemy is this calls it the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so, that's why I'm a big believer in reading the Bible. Knowing what's in the Bible. Knowing some of those promises that God has in the Bible. Because it's the greatest weapon that you can have. Jesus did it himself. Jesus went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And the Bible says that the devil came to him and he tempted him. And those three temptations, and you, you, you just read through that. And every time that the devil tempted him, Jesus started throwing rocks back. He started throwing the word of God. He says, you know, he says, Jump, throw yourself off this cliff and the angels will come and rescue you. And Jesus says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He quoted scripture. And then, uh, and then the devil says, hey, turn these rocks into to bread if you are the Christ. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the the mouth of God. Then he came again, the devil, and he says, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world if you just come and bow down and worship me. And Jesus says the kingdoms of this world are nothing to be compared to the kingdom of our Lord and God and Savior, the God of this universe. Jesus started quoting scripture, and that's exactly what you need to do. The final way that you survive a lion attack is this. Protect Your neck, your throat, and your ears. If a lion comes, you should like wrap yourself like around your arms like this. You know why? Because lions, for some reason, once they've attacked you, they will go immediately for your throat. They'll go immediately for your throat. The quicker that they can take your air supply from you, the quicker they can devour the rest of your body. And the enemy of your soul is just the same. He wants to go for your throat. He wants to go for your air supply. When you feel a spiritual attack, then this is what you need to do. You need to get out the rat race. You need to take some time and start to breathe again. Go take some time to meditate on the word of God. Go take some time to pray. I don't know. Go, go and just sit somewhere. Listen to some, uh, some worship music. Something. Get time with God who is your air supply. Protect your air supply. Because the enemy wants to stop that. And often the busier we get, the harder it becomes. You know, there's a real enemy out there who wants to devour you. And so this morning, I encourage you at the end of this, of this series, be aware of being ambushed. You're riding shotgun and Jesus is taking this stagecoach that you're on to an incredible place. But be aware of an attack. However, this morning you may say, well, what's the point? Is it worth it? Is it worth living this Christian life and I'm going to have this enemy attack me like a, like a roaring lion seeking to devour me? What's the point? Well, there is a point. And, and, and Peter, through every chapter of, of 1 Peter, he's told us time and time again why we're to live this Christian life. And once again, right at the end, he tells us one more time. This is what he says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he, being God, will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation or power to him forever. Amen. is what Peter says. He says, God has got an eternal glory waiting for you. This stagecoach that you're on tells us that we are pilgrims and sojourners in this land. We're people on a journey passing through this land just like a stagecoach passing through this land. But the place that this stagecoach is going to is an eternal glory that we will share with Christ. It's a place that you or, or, or me, we could not ever imagine how incredible it is. But one day, I'm not sure when that will happen, but one day. You will see Jesus Christ face to face and you will share in the glory that Christ has. And all the troubles of this world, all the problems of this world will be behind you. And you will forget them all the times the bandits came out, the, out of the mountains and tried to pick you off. You will forget because the place that you are going as is, is an incredible place. Where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more anxiety, no more struggle, no more financial struggle, no more tax returns, praise the Lord. You know, no more of the things in this life that cause pain. That is the place you are going. The stagecoach to glory. And while you have to suffer and fight your way for the time being, the place where you are going is so worth it. And so the last thing I want to tell you in this series is this. Be aware that God is with you. No matter what you go through, God is with you. And as God is with you, he will take you through the problems of this life. And he'll take you to a place that you will never, ever imagine how wonderful and glorious it is. Be aware of what God is doing in your life. Let's bow our heads in prayer.